and welcome to the first in our series of Management Systems podcasts. This session is dedicated specifically to the scoping activity of management systems. I'm Curtis Thornton, the Business Development Manager for Business Assurance here at Intertech UK. And I'm joined by Cheryl Savage, the Managing Director of Management and Risk Solutions. Cheryl, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, my name is Cheryl Savage. I'm Managing Director of Management Risk Solutions, established in 2018. And we offer consultancy, auditing and um, training for any organisation that's wanting to either develop or enhance a management system. And we support Intertech very closely. We deliver majority of their training courses and work with them closely um, with clients to offer solutions to enhance their management systems and take them forward towards certification. So I'm delighted to be here on this podcast. Thank you, Curtis. Great, and great to have you here. Thanks, Cheryl. So today we're going to go through a few topics relevant to management system scopes that will hopefully give you a clearer idea of exactly what is needed and to also give you some tips on how to write your scope statement. So we're going to go through a few different sections here, but I think as the topic or the title of this podcast is, is your scope fit for purpose? And I just want to give a brief explanation as to why we've chosen this topic. Essentially, we've chosen this topic because we have thousands of clients in the UK who, of course, have a scope statement. It's up to Intertech to make sure that these scopes are both conforming with UCAS requirements, but also fit for purpose. And what I mean by that is fit for purpose in terms of adding the most value to your organisation, but also adding the most value to people who are reading them as well. All too often, we come across scope statements that are too vague, too descriptive, or too focused on selling the business, rather than showcasing the specialties of the company being certified. So I'd just like to pass this over now to Cheryl to just to explain in a little bit more detail, what is a scope? Thanks, Curtis. And I think it's really important to understand there are probably three types of scope related to management systems that can be the same, but can be very different. So the first one we'll talk about is an audit scope. So an audit scope is something that we are going to audit. And that means um, where are the boundaries? What might be included? What might be excluded from that audit? And we can't plan our audit unless we know where the boundaries are. So it could be a location, it could be a department, it could be a process within inside a department. So that's an audit scope. We've also, in all the ISO standards under clause 4.3, it asks us to define the scope of our management system. Now, the scope of our management system and the scope of certification can be the same, but can also be very different. So when we're defining the scope of the management system, again, we have to take into consideration what it is that the business does. But it also asks us in all ISO standards to take into consideration the internal external issues that affect the business, clause 4.1, and these expectations of interested parties that affect or can be affected by the business, clause 4.2. So now the scope can be quite much wider than the activities of an organisation because it has to incorporate those things. Whereas the scope of certification is that what you've come into agreement with the certification body of what's actually going to be covered in that certification scope. So you might limit that scope to certain activities or certain locations 
of your organisation, whereas your management system might, might be much wider scope. So, for example, you might have a management system for a global organisation, but you might have a certification scope, which is just one location or certain activities within inside that um, location. So I hope that clarifies, again, uh, a bit of a misunderstanding on what we mean by scope. And um, scope always means what's included, what's excluded, what's the boundary. But we do have those three different types of scope. So audit scope, management system scope, certification scope. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Cheryl. And I think we're going to actually touch on this later, but just to ask you now, why would a organisation have a separate scope for their management system internally and a um, scope for their certification? That's a, a, for a consultant, it's really hard uh, question to answer because I wouldn't want them to have a separate one. However, you may choose to only go for certification for a narrow part of the business, whereas you wouldn't want within your business only to have a management system that um, only encompasses different parts of the business. You can't exclude HR or manufacturing from, say, your health and safety management system because they are the people that work for your organisation. Therefore, you've got to include everything. But you might choose to work with Intertech, for example, to say we want to go for certification to 45,001, but we only want it for the manufacturing part of our business. Of course, when, when Intertech then go in, the auditor will be looking within that defined scope of certification, but also how that part of that organisation has identified the internal external issues and the interested parties, because they are very, very relevant to the system, but might be excluded from the certification. Brilliant. Thank you. That makes a lot of a lot of sense. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I just wanted to touch on briefly before we go into a bit more detail on specifically how to write your scope, why this matters to get it right. I mean, obviously, as a consultant for yourself, I'm sure you go into a lot of organisations and you see that it just isn't correct. And this can actually make a massive difference to their certification. So I was just wondering, Cheryl, if you could give us a bit more of an insight on why this matters. I think it matters because you can't be misleading with the scope of certification. It also matters from a commercial perspective because a lot of organisations, when you're bidding and tendering for new work, they ask you to send a copy of your 9,000, your 14,000, your 45,000 certificate. And the wording on that really needs to represent what is included in this certification scope. So it can't be misleading. Um, again, as we go through this podcast, I'm going to give you a little acronym that we're going to use to try and make sure that we um, cover everything, but also that we um, put the limitations in there of what that certification scope um, covers. So it can't be misleading. It's also you've got to bear in mind as well, working with the certification body, they've got to make sure that they are accredited by UCAS, as Kurt mentioned earlier, or, or what other accreditation body, depending on where you are in the world. And that they are accredited to include that scope and can you know, offer that certification within that scope um, that you're covering. So, for example, if you're uh, working in construction and you're working with a cert body that don't have that in their scope of accreditation, you can't uh, offer that certification. So there's the accreditation scopes as well as the certification scopes. Yeah. Yeah. OK. No, thank, thanks for clearing that up, Cheryl. That's really useful. Um, so. From a certifications body's perspective, uh, and certainly from my perspective dealing with clients day to day, I would say that 
what I've seen from clients in terms of how to write a scope statement or what I've seen from uh, clients so far, I've developed a short list of top tips, essentially. So what I feel would be useful to know when developing um, your scope statement. And the first is keep it short and simple. It sounds simple and it sounds uh, quite easy. However, I have seen a lot of uh, scope statements through my time, which are very long winded and which they, they go on quite a bit. And essentially, you need to kind of understand that you want the scope statement, which brings me on to my second point. You want the scope statement to overview what you do as an organization but you don't want it to be too wordy as so it becomes confusing or it becomes a little bit tedious to read throughout the whole thing. And then the third and final top tip that I have is that you don't want it to be overly salesy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, of course, the scope statement naturally will have an element of um, portraying what you do to your customers and your clients. So it does actually need to enhance your business to a degree. So showcasing the processes and procedures that, that it covers. However, you don't want it to be so salesy whereby it's it could almost come into uh, at odds with your accreditation um, with UCAS. There are strict, well, there, there are rules and regulations in place by UCAS to make sure that you're not overselling it and that you're following the rules and procedures, which, which we'll go through now. And Cheryl, you did actually mention that there's an acronym that you've uh, hope will find, which I'm sure our listeners will find very useful. Uh, do you mind just going into that as well? Not at all. So the acronym that I use is M-E-L or MEL for short. M stands for what are the main activities that this organisation does. E stands for are there any extra activities that I want to actually incorporate in the scope of my certification and particularly on that certificate. And the L stands for are there actually any limitations that I should be having on that certificate to make it clear. So a few examples that I've just pulled out, um, a 9001 um, scope might be as simple as design and manufacture of parts associated with the automotive industry. So the main activities are design and manufacture of the parts, but the um, limitations or the example uh, would be for the automotive industry. So that's the extra that they're saying it's for specifically for the automotive industry. Another one, so my scope of certification for my business might be something like design and delivery of training courses. That's the main activity. But it might extend it to say specifically for the construction industry. Mine isn't, by the way, so um, that's a bit misleading. But it might be an organisation that just delivers, design and delivers training courses for a specific industry. You might want to have that on your scoping statement because that gives you the limitations. When we're talking about 45,001, then that's, that scoping statement really should say words like the health and safety issues associated with whatever that organisation does. And the same for environmental. So environmental issues associated with the design and manufacture of. So that it's very clear what that scope of certification covers. Yes, it will say the number. So for quality, it will say 9,001. For environment, it will say 14,001. And for occupational health and safety, I'll say 45,001. But for me, as, a, as an auditor and a consultant, I would encourage organisations to actually put it on their certificate, the health and safety activities associated with, 
the environmental activities or the environmental impacts associated with. And then from a quality perspective, that's when it's really saying these are our activities. So again, just to reiterate, MEL is just a very simple acronym. What are the main activities? Are there any extra activities that we also want to have on that certificate? And are there any limitations? So some organisations might manufacture a, a part that meets a British standard, for example. Do you want to have that on your scoping statement? But maybe you don't because maybe that limits when you're um, submitting your certificate to a potential client. But just think about, you know, what do you want that certificate to say about your organisation? But maybe think also about the additional or the extra activities that you want on there and are there any limitations? Hopefully that's helpful. Yes, thank you, Charles. Certainly helpful for me um, and I'm sure very helpful for our listeners as well. I just wanted to briefly extend on that, actually, um, just with 27,001 as well. Um, so information security, because I know that there'll probably be a few listeners here that are interested in the scope statement specifically for this standard. It would still follow, uh, the advice would be very similar in the sense that it would still follow the structure or the acronym MEL. So the main activities, the extra activities, and then any limitations of that of that scope. And it would also follow the advice that you talked about, Cheryl, in terms of um, referring to environment and health and safety. But in this regard, instead of it referring to health and safety or environment, we would actually say the information security management system of and then go into your activities because this way um, it's then showcasing that this is relevant to 27001 and your information security management system. So it's making it specific. And then the second thing with 27001 scope statements is that you need to also have a reference to what we call an SOA, which is a statement of applicability. Now, the statement of applicability is a separate topic and it is something that we can touch on later in this series of management systems. However, as I said, just briefly for now, typically the statement of applicability reference in your scope statement is made towards the end of the scope statement. So you could have something, for example, the information security management system of um, X company in association with statement of applicability version 1.0 as an example uh, and then what that basically tells your clients is that you have a statement of applicability that you have created within your information security management system which is then being verified by a third party auditor such as intertech and um, essentially it has been verified so yeah just to clear that up as well so now I think we can just go move on a little bit. Now we've got a bit more of an understanding about uh, the structure of scope statements, just to understand some common mistakes that we that we see, or certainly that I see from a certifications perspective, but Cheryl also that you see from a consultant, consultant side as well. So um, you did mention that you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about, Cheryl, in terms of uh, misleading scope statements. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, so you can't have a misleading scoping statement. So you can't be a multinational organisation, but the um, scoping statement doesn't um, outline which locations are covered because you might only have head office, for example, covered in the certification. Um, 
and actually your your scope needs to say that, that it's head office activities only. If you're, say, a manufacturing company and you've got 20 different sites across the UK, is it the head office in those 20 sites? And is it all the activities associated with all of those 20 sites? Seems to be very clear. It can't be misleading. What you will have is, a, if it is a multi-site certification, you will have a schedule of what sites it covers. But again, um, you can't be misleading on your scoping statement certificate. So if it's the design and manufacture of something, but actually you don't do the design, then you can't have that on your certificate. So it can't be misleading. Okay. Great, thank you. I just think I'd add to that as well is that uh, in the past I have seen a few certificates which they wanted the um, the certification to cover the management of the processes associated with, let's say, the production of something, for example. Now, if you truly just wanted the management team to be certified as part of your organisation, then that is completely fine. However, Certification bodies we have seen in the past that um, companies wanted the management of the management team to actually be certified, but then they were claiming that the whole organization was to be certified. Now, we can't do that, I'm afraid. We have to, if you do want the whole organization certified, then of course we would need to audit and include within the scope the whole organization. So we wouldn't have that wording specifically. Uh, on the flip side, if you did actually just want the management team certifying under under ISO, then we would obviously make that clear and that would be clear on that scope statement and within the certificate itself. Which does bring me on to my second point, which is what is the scope and what is it that you actually want to gain out of your scope statement? So what is the purpose of the scope statement? So a common mistake that I see is that organizations tend to look and create their scope statement from looking at it from the lens of their own company rather than from the perspective of a client or a customer. So things such as including two technical terms or processes which perhaps only your colleagues internally will know. And again, this depends on what the purpose of your certification is for. So if you specifically wanted to reference products and you specifically wanted to reference procedures, which you know, it, which is specifically for a tender or it's for the clients that you're already working with, then that's fine. But we found on a few occasions, or certainly I found working with Intertech, is that it has been too specific on products and it's been too specific on procedures whereby it can then limit yourself and it can actually limit um, the, the type of people that you're trying to attract and what you're trying to achieve from your management system. And the third uh, common mistake, I've already touched on this, so I don't need to go into too much detail, but being too wordy. Um, it isn't the case that you need to, and actually Cheryl did include this herself earlier on, it you don't need to include every single department within your scope statement. You just need to be able to pick out the key processes or the key areas within your business that you feel is going to have the greatest impact. Impact being a key word. So what's going to have the greatest impact on your organization and what? how are you going to yield the biggest benefit from having a scope statement? So you don't want it to be too wordy. Um, Think about your target audience, basically, is what I'm trying to say out there. And on the flip side, you don't want to miss out key processes. Of course, if you're bidding for a tender, which is, um, you know, which is highly and 
as part of the tender, they are looking for ISO 9001 certification for your production, then of course you want to ensure that production is mentioned in your scope statement. Otherwise, there's going to be a disconnect in terms of what they're looking for and what you're what you've actually put on your scope. And finally, from my perspective, just being too specific as well. Uh, it's good to have various processes within your business. However, there really isn't any need to be very specific with the scope statement. If you add individual products onto the scope, what happens then when you grow? If you're adding each individual product onto your scope statement, one, it's going to be a very high amount of admin, both from the certification body and for yourselves. But you also need to remember what's the overarching message that we're trying to achieve here. And then finally, I've got lack structure. And Cheryl did uh, mention this briefly earlier, earlier as well. So, We've talked about having that MEL, the acronym MEL, so having that structure in place. We have also seen scope statements from other certification bodies, which would just be as simple as testing services or IT infrastructure or capabilities testing. Of course, it does to a degree give us an idea, gives uh, a customer or gives someone who's looking at your certificate an idea of what you're doing. but it's not really structured enough to have a clear understanding of what it is exactly that you do and what it is exactly what it is that it's exactly covered under the scope of certification so just make sure to have some structure in there as well and that's it so thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast um, i've really enjoyed uh, talking about the scope statements here just as a key takeaway the key takeaway is that you want the scope statement to be an accurate and fair representation of the key processes and activities within your organization. You don't want it to be too wordy and you want to make sure it has an emphasis on the management systems. However, equally, you don't want it to be too short as the scope statement can be used as a tool to support selling and represent representing what is certified throughout the business. If your customers can see a process or activity it's, which is covered within your scope, they can be confident that your product or service is of the highest quality. And of course, depending on the standard, said processes can also be environmentally friendly, adhere to health and safety requirements, or be covered under your robust information security policies. So that's it. So thank you. We hope you found this podcast of value. And also a big thank you to Cheryl for your time and expertise today. No problem, and thank you for inviting me as always. Thank you very much, Kurt. No worries at all, and thank you. And if you want to learn more about Management Systems Certification Services, you can visit our website on www.intertech.com forward slash business dash assurance. And if you'd like any further details of our associated training courses or any questions at all, please just email dot. ECA, that's Echo Charlie Alpha at intertech.com. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.